The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Global Liberty Alliance, its network, sponsors, donors, or broadcast platforms. The Global Liberty Alliance provides this podcast for informational purposes. Freedom of speech is a fundamental right and essential for free societies to prosper. Thank you for listening and supporting the mission of the Global Liberty Alliance, dedicated to strengthening and defending fundamental individual rights, free markets, and the rule of law. Hope you're doing well. This is Jason Poblet with the Global Liberty Alliance coming to you now permanently from Florida's Space Coast. We still have our outposts in Alexandria, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., but yours truly will be coming to you from the home of Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach, and many other good things which we'll talk about on future shows. So today, let's jump right into this. We're going to talk about Cuba and what's legal, what's not legal. I get a lot of questions about, can I go down there? Should I go down there? Today, we're just gonna focus on one aspect of that. We'll record a few of these. And using an article from the Miami Herald, I thought it'd be a great launching point because this one in particular uh, has uh, received a lot of uh, feedback uh, from folks. On June 23rd, um, Nora Gamis Torres, which writes a lot for the Miami Herald on Cuba issues, and she has for a long time. She's a very good reporter, too. She uh, published a piece called How Miami Companies Are Secretly Fueling the Dramatic Growth of Cuba's Private Business. I could just spend the whole podcast talking about that title. Yet, what I want to do is give you all a few pointers if you're going to explore the island 90 miles away kind of give you the framework so you don't break u.s law make sure you obey it and also get legal advice before you do it because the one thing that's clear about this article if you read it and i'll provide you a link in the program notes is that it is still very tricky to go down there especially because of the sanctions um and also, uh, this notion that there's a private sector is something that if you take one thing away from this podcast, there is no such thing in Cuba as a private sector. Um, it's a legal fiction that somehow has found its way into our, into our regulatory definitions or our policy definitions. And uh, let's talk about that, and then we'll jump into the article. For those of you who don't know, uh, Cuba remains a command police command economy police state the 
government controlled by the Communist Party. So there's no other political parties down there but the Communist Party. It's been this way since the 1960s. Most of you were not even alive back then. Um, so this history lesson is good for you. Um, hasn't changed much politically uh, since then. And if you look at, you know, when they've had a bunch of constitutions, by the way, and I'm also going to provide you a report for those of you who want to read about that sort of thing uh, that was prepared a few months ago in collaboration with Florida International University and lawyers in Cuba and our team over here. That gives you a breakdown of some of these constitutions. But let's talk about the most recent constitution um, that they're operating under because it will help us understand why there is no private sector in Cuba. Cuba is a socialist state, Article 1. Cuba shall never return to capitalism. That's Article 3. The state directs that the national economy will be done in a planned manner. That's Article 9A. The Cuban system of economy is based on a socialist ownership of all the means of production. That's Article 14. And of course, if you, you know, there's this big doozy in, in there that reads, and it's not the best translation, but I'm going to give you the section that I think will crystallize for you what I'm getting at when I say there is no private sector. If you keep reading Article 14, it says, from each according to his ability to each according to his work. And by the way, it's not from Seinfeld. For those Seinfeld fans out there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And this is straight out of a you know, socialist playbook. These people are not messing around. That is what they want. That is what they defend. And some of them will fight to the death to keep that system going. Um, the law stipulates uh, that the regulations which guarantee all of this is right there in the Constitution. It says it's a guarantee. The law is going to back it up. I think it's Article 14 as well. I don't have all these memorized. Um, and they, it goes on. I mean, you could keep going all the way down to Article 53. There will never be or can never be private property in Cuba. I mean, how much more plain can you get than that? It says it right there in their Constitution. There can never be private property in Cuba, especially as it involves reorganizing, directing, and controlling of the national economic activity uh, that, uh, that guarantees, and they say this in the Constitution, that guarantees the program development of the country with the aim of strengthening the socialist system. And, of course, there's that little footnote over there that there can never be, and it's not a footnote, it's an actual article, there can never be private property in Cuba. Well... Why is it then, go back to this Miami Herald story, that it says here, fueling dramatic growth of Cuba's private businesses. I mean, look, they're, 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 you, you can contort, we can contort ourselves into just about anything as human beings. So I know why we can say that, and perhaps to some people, you can say it's potentially legally accurate. I tend to think it's not, uh, not that there's a mistake in the newspaper article. Um, uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that big picture, take away from this podcast, is that there is no private property in Cuba. There's property outside the system. There are systems that they create these exceptions to create certain spaces to create money uh, for the system. 
But the system is the system. It's a collective. It's a socialist system, and it's going to remain that way so long as those people remain in power. And look, if that's what the Cuban people want, I mean, so be it. They've been at this since the 1960s, so um, those that don't like it leave. Um, some of them who still like it leave, and I think that's what this story is about, and they come out here to do their duty to the system and send money and create networks and do things in defense of the system. And, you know, it's the way it is, my friends. What can I tell you? And there's a lot in this story here that you can sink your teeth into, but let me just go through a few highlights. Um, in one section of the story here, it reads, businesses in Florida can facilitate the flow of cash, have created a clever, okay, that's a big flag. Anytime I see clever, as a sanctions lawyer, I get very concerned. Uh, clever but complex, oh, there's another flag, complex system that is helping Cuban private entrepreneurs sidestep, well, there's another word, sidestep, U.S. financial sanctions and buy abroad supplies they need for their businesses on the island. If you ever come to me for legal advice using the words clever, complex, sidestep, U.S. financial sanctions, you're pretty much opening yourself up if the U.S. government ever found out to a pretty juicy investigation, and I would suspect it would be criminal in nature, not just an administrative process. So anytime you hear those buzzwords in a conversation, be careful. But it's right here in the Miami Herald story. I mean, I hope the Treasury Department's reading this and studying it. Because there's a little more here that's, that's pretty interesting. That is another flag for me. So we go a few paragraphs down. Newly emerging agencies abroad. Most of them in Miami. Well, there you go, U.S. jurisdiction. And by the way, it doesn't really matter where you are. In most cases, there are very few cases where these sanctions do not apply to you, especially if you access the U.S. financial system and transact in dollars. Anyhow, it says here, they are using cash paid by Cuban-Americans to send to their families to buy and ship supplies ordered by Cuban entrepreneurs. So we're going to come back to that term, Cuban entrepreneur, because it's being thrown around a lot. And um, I'm sure there are Cuban entrepreneurs, but what does a Cuban entrepreneur mean when you think about the system? We'll come back to that in a second. And the article goes on, the business owners in Cuba then reimbursed agencies here in the States, which then used the cash already on the island to deliver remittances. It is a workaround made necessary by one key obstacle to Cuba. Private entrepreneurs are facing the U.S. embargo. Okay, that, this is, I mean, where can I begin? Let's just start with this, another flag work around made necessary. That to me just reeks of potential illegality. Anytime you do a workaround to US sanctions, you're asking for trouble. By one key obstacle, what's that key obstacle? Oh, the US embargo. Folks, there is no embargo on Cuba. I mean, there's a comprehensive set of sanctions. I mean, I guess legally we can say there's an embargo, but in practice, we've been biting away at the quote embargo since the end of the Cold War, um, we've passed laws since 1992, 1996, 2000, that pretty much fundamentally changed how the, quote, embargo started during the Eisenhower administration and escalated during the Kennedy administration and so on and so forth. 
has been enforced. Those laws, we're not going to talk about them today, pretty much have weakened it to the point where I think it's an embargo in name only. Uh, it's still strong, of course. I mean, you have to be very careful legally with it. But in practice, there's a lot of exceptions to it. And they try, those in Cuba, those who advocate a complete lifting of all sanctions, um, kind of use this, this ship with this talisman saying, oh, the embargo's an obstacle, in this case, to Cuban private entrepreneurs. Well, there are no Cuban private entrepreneurs unless the Cuban Communist Party says you are a Cuban private entrepreneur. So remember, this is a command economy. The sources of money are controlled by them. They decide what's legal, what's not legal. And then they pick and choose, okay, who will be a private entrepreneur. So here in the United States, if you want to start a business, very easy. You organize yourself, depending on the state you're in, you register, and you start working. And then you succeed or fail based on your product or service and what the market decides. And that's not the way it works 90 miles away. They have a list of things that they decide will be allowed outside the controlled economy. And then you have to apply, in essence, and if you look at these rules, I won't bore you with them, but you basically apply, and they have to approve you. And then you sign all these pieces of paper. Ultimately, the state pays for everything. Even if you're out there working hard, they tax you, they regulate you, and you get your paycheck from them. And they decide if you're going to participate or not. And unless you are a purist, unless you are somebody who believes in the system, remember all those clauses of the Constitution I gave you? Unless you believe in all of that, that's, you're not going to become a, quote, entrepreneur, which is just, a, in, in the case of Cuba, it just should be a license. They're giving you a license to go outside the official economy and work outside an entity of the state to work in this new micro-enterprise of the state to give your money and your hard work and everything you've done in defense and support of the revolution. So, you know, all those things I read in the Constitution that we hadn't talked about, oh, that, that remarkable free healthcare system. And by the way, a lot of people just come here to get healthcare because they don't trust their own government down there, go figure. But anyhow, let's just go through the story. There's a few more things I want to raise for you. So the Miami Herald says they spoke to entrepreneurs in Cuba. Again, remember what an entrepreneur is. It's somebody the Cuban Communist Party says is an entrepreneur. A consultant in Miami, guess what? They didn't say who this consultant was. It's all very secret. And by the way, I'm sure she did speak to those people. I'm just sure those people did not want their names in print. Why? Well, I could think of a few, the most important, of course, being the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control. Probably wants to know who that consultant is. And of course, a lot of Cuban-Americans close to the, quote, private business community on the island. Folks, there is no private business community on the island. If there, there is one, wait, let me, let me just take a step back. There is a private business community. It's called the black market. It's called illegal in Cuba. It's probably the freest of all. And it's been there for a very long time. That's the private sector in Cuba. There are people down there who work outside the system, who buy and sell information, buy and sell goods outside the state system, outside the poking eyes 
of the Committees for the Defense of the Revolution, and they just do stuff on their own to eat, to entertain themselves, and um, none, none of this other stuff that they're calling private. That's separate. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about private businesses on the island that have been identified as private under the Cuban socialist system by the Communist Party and the central planners. So, anyhow, here's the doozy of all of this, the big one. They even came up with a name, which, again, as a compliance guy, as a sanctions lawyer, I've been doing this a long time. Anytime I see code words and uh, special names for something, it's a flag. This one's called the closed circle transaction. Circulo cerrado, that's Spanish for closed circle. And here goes their, their, their loop. This is how they, they operate. You know, they're, they're, they are a, coming up with a, quote, creative solution, which they call the closed circle, to tap into large amounts of cash that remittance companies have collected abroad. Private business owner in Cuba wants to buy a cargo container of chicken from a U.S. company. That business owner in Cuba, and I'm not going to call him business owner. I, I just, you know, I don't know. We've got to come up with a better name for this. But the Cuba contact will contact a remittance company in Miami. And remittances are, <clears throat> excuse me, companies that, you know, they send your money. You know, Western Union, there's many, many of them. And there's these smaller companies that do this also. And nowadays, you can send money through PayPal and so many other um any other techniques. So Cuba's a little different, of course, because we have sanctions in place. But it's a pretty straightforward process. So let's just start this again. So, the, so, the, so this, the, this guy in Cuba wants chickens. They want to buy a container of chicken from an American company. That guy in Cuba or gal contacts the remittance company in Miami and puts the order in. The remittance company supposedly buys the supplies, buys your chickens, pays to ship them to the island. Now, up until that point, I could tell you there's some licensing that has to happen with the U.S. government. I'm not sure how they do it. The article doesn't get into it. But there are some reporting, licensing or reporting legal requirements that have to happen up until that very point. Anyhow, once that shipment arrives in Cuba, the chickens, the chickens get to Cuba, folks, the Cuban, quote, entrepreneur then repays the remittance agency. Well, how did he or she get that money? Oh, good question in dollars, and the remittance company, by the way, has an employee on the island, interesting, in dollars or Cuban currency. The agency then, the remittance company, the one here in Miami, here in the States somewhere, it could be anywhere, there's a bunch of them, takes a cut for providing this service. And it says, it says right there, the agency takes a cut for providing this service while securing cash already on the island to make good on the delivery of remittances. Then it adds, money can, cannot be simply transferred from the U.S. to normal banking systems because of the embargo. Folks, there is no embargo. And guess what? There are ways to move money through the banking system. And the fact that this article says normal banking system tells me that this other closed circle business is abnormal. It's beyond abnormal. I think it bordering on, if not, it is illegal. But it seems like people are doing it because there's a whole story in the Miami Herald about it. That's not the first time I've heard about this uh, supposed circumvention of the U.S. embargo, U.S. sanctions. I've been hearing about this for years. The first, though, time I see it in print like this. 
Anyhow, so how, how, you know, how do people, these anonymous people, talk about this? Well, this, there's one, quote, Cuban entrepreneur who claims there's a whole alternative market because there are no financial or banking solutions. Yes, there are banking and financial solutions, man. Go to your government and tell them to change it. Why are we imposing these contorted, illegal, most of them, transactions on the U.S. taxpayer and using the U.S. financial system to do this sort of thing? Uh, I don't quite understand that. It is not adequate, but there's no other way. Yeah, there is another way. Stop coming over here to break our laws. That's part of that. They claim, oh, this means the government can't benefit by imposing fees and other charges. Remittance fees. Oh, boy. That's a bunch of malarkey. Bunch of bull. The U.S. government pays fees. A lot, license fees, sorry. The U.S. government licenses fees. We have been. Remember those laws I told you about? at the beginning of the podcast. Well, guess what? Since the 1990s, it's been legal for U.S. telecom and other entities to pay these remittance fees. These are fees that you go and you pay to send the money, and some of them are pretty intense. So the government gets the money somehow. So this Miami remittance company that somehow has this agent in Miami that somehow has this stash of cash somewhere, that stash of cash had to make it into the country. And it either went through the remittance system that the government already charged a fee on, or they used something called a mule that carried cash on their person to take this money into Cuba. If they're in dollars, the system ultimately sucks it up because people buy goods in Cuba. Guess who's going to buy those chickens? <laughs> Guess who's going to buy the chickens? Somebody in the system is going to buy those chickens. If this guy is a private entrepreneur, oh, quote, private entrepreneur, where is he going to sell those chickens? Out of the back of his truck? No, he has a license from his government. All right? He's going to sell chickens in a store that's going to move money, probably money by people who want to buy the chicken, okay? get that money from loved ones out here or who knows from... I mean, by the way, the average income in Cuba is only 20 bucks a month. Chicken's expensive. So the families who buy these chickens are going to buy the chickens with money they get from people who live in the States. Money gets wired, remittance fees. They're going to get their money. The Cuban government, the system will get their money this time on the back end. So maybe they won't have a fee system. They're going to get it on the back end. They're going to get it over there when they buy those chickens at the state store when they've jacked up the prices that the price of chicken is so high that the average Cuban can't afford it. So this convoluted, contorted financial transaction, again, I think it's illegal, but they're doing it. That's the reason I'm recording this, because those of you who called me to ask me if this stuff is, can we do this? Can we go down there? I say, be careful. I can't give you legal advice, of course, on a podcast. I'd have to chat with you, but be careful, folks. There is no such thing as a private sector in Cuba. We already said the private, the only real private sector in Cuba is the black market, which if they catch you doing business with them, you're going to get in trouble with people here and with people over there. So let's just get through the story. I'm almost done with it. You know, of course, there's this perfunctory Trump crackdown, open the door. Okay, now they blame Trump for this. That's a bunch of hooey. I'm not even going to talk about that. That's just nonsense. Uh, Trump sanctions didn't result in any of this. This is just, uh, so let's see, even if that were true. So that means 
they came up with this closed circle scheme because Trump did this. Oh, really? Illegal U.S. transaction, U.S. dollar-based transaction, indirectly, indirectly, it was done because Trump did this. You know, it's just something, we don't talk politics here. This is a nonprofit, so let's just move on. Anyhow, there's a lot of other stuff here about the U.S. government supporting Cuban entrepreneurs. I'm not going to get into any of that. All I'm saying, be careful. There's no such thing as a private sector in Cuba. These, these, these companies that are now pitching themselves as entrepreneurs and they come to Miami and they travel around the states and now some people want these people to open bank accounts. Okay, get a load of this. Issue bank accounts in U.S. banks so that these people who are not really private sector, these people who are part of the communist, these are the vanguard. If you're a private, quote, entrepreneur in Cuba, you're part of the communist vanguard. If you're a political dissident, you can't get one of these licenses. They're not, gonna, they're not going to give them to you. Okay? If you're somebody who opposes that system, they are not, the system will not let you in. Just last week, there was a news article about somebody in, the, um, in their National Assembly, which is their, their, um, their version of a legislature, uh, complaining about how difficult and how expensive things were and how they need more space. Oh, that's very funny, my friend. Of course things are more expensive, and you know it. They made, they made this out to be like some dramatic thing that this entrepreneur, because they have one seat in their legislature, they have a designated seat, they affirmative action in the communist system. They'll give you a seat in their legislature um, so you can talk about what you're doing. Of course, they got to give one to this private entrepreneur, which I think is the fellow who may be in this story. I'm not sure. Um, anyhow, he, 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 his mic was cut off or the programming was cut off because he was complaining about the price of eggs or chickens. I have no idea. Um, and... That was it. And now they made him out to be some hero over here. Give me a break, folks. This guy, this whole, that whole thing, first of all, may have been staged. Um, and like I said at the start of the show, the communist diehards are never going to let this get out of control. They just won't do it. They're going to monitor this. And I believe the, the answer of why this happened and why it's being promoted is right here in that Miami Herald story, a workaround. They created this scheme to evade U.S. sanctions. And in my book, if that's what they did, that's illegal. Don't participate in that sort of nonsense, folks. Get, get guidance from a lawyer, somebody who knows how these laws work, um, especially when they're coming up with code words like a closed circular transaction and talking about dollars and moving dollars from here to Cuba, back to the chicken guy and whatever. This is not normal just like the private sector in Cuba is not like any other private sector. It is a controlled private scheme used to generate income for the state, for the system. And policymakers will have to decide this. I'm going to wrap this up, that it's inconsistent with U.S. law for us to be supporting this sort of thing without licenses, if it's even allowed. Um, I'm not sure it is allowed. I need to study this a whole lot more because based on one newspaper story and a few other public items that have been published about this um, 
MIPNE, it's a Spanish acronym, but it's these little private enterprises that they're calling them, in name only, of course, uh, how they function, how they operate, it, it doesn't look right, and it needs work. And if you look at the 1992, 1996, and 2000 laws, you'd see how it comes right to the edge in certain respects of legality, but then on the other end, completely should not be allowed. So anyhow, that's it for today. I look forward to speaking with you all next time. Keep the questions coming. This is Jason Poblet with the Global Liberty Alliance.